Hi guys and welcome back to episode 8 of the In The Hub podcast with me, Neil Facker. On today's episode, we'll be speaking to one of the most exciting figures within the sports broadcasting industry, Oliver Slipper. Ollie currently heads up Pitch International, a leading sports marketing agency, as chairman. Hope you enjoy this episode. So we'll get straight into the questions then, if that's okay with you, Ollie. No worries. Awesome. So, Ollie, it's safe to say you've had a pretty incredible career. Could you just give us a brief rundown of the events that took you from a pro cricketer, free Warner Music Group and Perform, and into your position of chair at Pitch? Sure. Well, the, the cricket side of things was a pretty short and unspectacular start to my career. So when I left school, I had a couple of years on the staff at Surrey, not particularly successful, hence why I ended up going to university afterwards. Uh, so I studied classical studies at Manchester University, which is doesn't particularly point you in any one direction, but ended up on the graduate scheme at, uh, at a company called Anderson Consulting that is now Accenture, uh, which was a pretty good start to business life because it sort of throws you in at the deep end. You learn lots of stuff. And one of my first assignments there was working on the launch of digital TV for NTL. And one of the things NTL were doing was investing in what they called internet rights to try and compete with Sky. And I ended up being seconded into that project uh, with a, a wholly owned NTL company called Premium TV, which was investing in the right to run football club websites effectively. Um, now, it, whilst it was a brilliant start in terms of getting me into the sports industry, the it was probably 10 years too early in terms of the rationale behind investing in this stuff because there was no real revenue streams to support the, the guarantees that they were paying. And uh, broadband was still something that was further down the line. So trying to generate e-commerce, streaming, advertising revenue in a dial-up world was, was quite challenging. But anyway, it taught me lots of things. Uh, and along that, the road there, uh, the parent company, NTL, went bankrupt. And we were taken over by a bunch of uh, American-based, what they call vulture funds, who sort of buy up debt. I think they probably would have closed us down at the time had they not had these guarantees with the Football League. So um, I ended up rather fortuitously taking over running that business early in the 2000s and, and I guess did a good job turning it around, uh, moving the model away from paying rights fees to run football club websites to being paid a fee and taking a small revenue share to run them. So I did that for a number of years and then sort of worked out that the model of being paid to run websites and taking a small revenue share, whilst it sort of de-risked the business, certainly didn't give us much upside in the future. So then started exploring some content ownership ideas uh, and then came across a guy called Simon Denyer um, and we decided to try and merge our company. So he owned his company with a couple of other co-founders, a small rights brokerage called Inform that was specializing in selling um, internet uh, sports content to streaming platforms. And then I found a company called Axis Industries to buy out our old Vulture Fund shareholders who, who saw a, you know, a very good return on their investment. And then we put the two businesses together to create Perform. And I guess Perform's core business was the supply of sort of technology products and streaming content to the betting sector, but also broadcasters, media companies and stuff like that. And you know, we had a really successful few years, grew the business. I think when we put the businesses together in 2007, we were roughly 10 million pounds of combined turnover and 
fast forward three years, we were 100 million. So we had a great time around the period where the financial crisis was um, was biting many people in the sports sector. And we had very supportive shareholders who allowed us to reinvest all the profits we were generating to grow the business. And then from there, we floated on the stock market uh, and they were ultimately taken private in 2015. And having done 15 years there, I, I felt like it was time for me to explore some different things. So I resigned, uh, resigned as an executive and that business is obviously now split. So you have uh, Perform that was acquired by Stats and you have DAZN, which was the old Perform that is very much a, you know, a, a massive sports OTT player. So I sort of watched from the sidelines with interest. I'm still a small shareholder in, in that business and you know, wish it the best of luck in their you know, hugely ambitious plans to disrupt the sports broadcast space. 2015, I, um, I focused on angel investing and in particular founded a, uh, a sports games business called uh, Massimo. It didn't start out as a sports games business, it started out as a puzzle business and we created a game called Draw Path that I still play, but only around about 30 or 40 other people in the world play it with me. <laughs> but in doing that, we got to meet lots of game developers uh, and partnered with an extremely impressive Turkish game studio uh, and effectively sort of merged with them. So we left the capital in the business that we'd created. Um, and with our expertise, I guess our expertise was we had bigger relationships with the app stores, with the Apples and the Googles. And um, and, and they were a much better game developer, but may, may not have had the international connections that we had. So put them together. And um, obviously, once the business had been put together, I had less of a day-to-day executive role and really more of just a sort of a non-exec director. But that's been a great success. We sold that um, business to Miniclip, the Tencent-owned uh, games uh, studio based in the UK. And we're currently on a, an earn-out period with that business. And so still involved in it, but, but less on a day-to-day basis. And then invested in a, a bunch of other businesses in the sort of sports space, ones you might have heard of, Grabio, which is a a really cool sports tech business that focuses on cloud-based video production and distribution uh, services used by many of the main sports rights holders in in Europe and the US. Invested in a business called Play Sport Group that is a YouTube channel for cyclists, uh, mountain bikers, triathletes, etc. And then ultimately expanded beyond that into all of the other social platforms uh, uh, and now has its own direct-to-consumer propositions. Again, we, we exited that business, I think, early 2019 uh, when Discovery bought that. And now my – so sort of from mid-2000, and I obviously sat on the board of Warner Music that was that had the same shareholder of the zone and uh, had a lot of fun with that for five years um, as that business, you know, took, went from, you know, being at the, the trough of revenue from, from a – record label perspective to seeing the whole growth of streaming across Spotify, Apple Music, uh, the likes of Deezer, etc. So that, that has been really fun to partner with. Uh, I stepped down that when the guys at Pitch came to me in, uh, I think probably mid-2018. Uh, Trevor East, who had been chairman there for a while, was um, looking to take more of a backseat and um, and spend more time in Cornwall. They were looking for someone to come and help them run the business at an executive level. And I felt 
having just exited a couple of my really interesting startups, I thought it was a you know, a good time and for me to sort of get back into operational executive life. And I've done two years here now, and it's been thoroughly enjoyable. Um, the business is really in a in a place right now. Obviously, with the carnage that's gone on in the world of sport, we're we're in a very strong position to. I guess, given the, the strength of our finances and and the opportunities that are going to exist in sport to to grow over the next few years, so something that I'm very excited to be partnering with the uh, the founders here with to try and take the business to the next level. And would you say you were pretty much destined to work in sport from the start? No, I wouldn't say so. I think I sort of obviously when the opportunity came up at Accenture, I, I then sort of pounced on it and made sure that. Uh, you know, if they were going to take on any young analyst, it was going to be me. But I didn't really have a plan to do that. I just had a plan to get a good graduate job to start with. And then what I would say is, you know, and then this sort of obviously the years I was with Perform and built my career and I guess built my credentials. And in that period of angel investing, the stuff that I invested in that worked really well typically was where. I knew what I was talking about. I, I had a much better sense of, of a good business in the sports tech space than I had of a business in the, you know, the food delivery space or some of the other poorer investments I might have made along that journey. So I think, my, I guess my mantra is stick to what you know best and you're far more likely to be successful. And how has life been at Pitch over the last few months? Are operations returning back to normal or did it never really slow down? Um, it definitely slowed down for the sort of first three months of lockdown because, you know, the majority. So if you look at our business, we are uh, sports rights, sponsorship, um, events, uh, and original programming, and then obviously our sort of athlete management business. Pretty much, bar the original programming piece where we continue to edit and come up with ideas, all of those when live sports stopped those businesses kind of paused um, and until they until live sport returned um, we, we were just in a holding pattern really so we had a very funny strange few months where you know more of our time was looking at contracts and doing the sort of boring stuff really rather than just getting on and you know running the business but I think once live sport has returned we obviously then got back into things um, we were pretty early in terms of opening the office back up and felt like, you know, it's important for a business like ours that's ultimately a very people orientated business that we were able to, you know, obviously in a safe environment, be back in uh, under a, a single roof to give people the opportunity to collaborate and work together better. So, yeah, the first few months were very strange. It was a quite a vacuous period for the business, but once live sports returned, obviously we've had some challenging conversations with whether it's rights owners or broadcasters, but feels like we've got through the back of those and we're in a position now where we're thinking about growth and investment um, to, to sort of take the business to the next level. And if I look back at my career, if you take some, say, my career at Perform, that period of, of 2008, 2009, 2010, which was the financial crisis, you know, the Lehman Brothers collapse, et cetera, that, that was our period of massive growth because many of our key competitors just weren't in a position financially to invest in 
the growth of their business. So if we can find the right opportunities now over the next few years where perhaps many of our competitors in the agency landscape might not have the balance sheets to invest or alternatively, you know, a lot of sports rights holders um, who, who have been significantly disrupted given the lack of fans in stadiums, et cetera, might be looking for, you know, ways to help them fund their, uh, their shortcomings in the, in the immediate term in return for some sort of long-term partnerships. So we're very open-minded and, and are looking at opportunities like that all the time. From your perspective, has live sport and sports broadcasting in general ever faced a year as tough as 2020? Uh, no, 100%. No, I think, I mean, obviously sports broadcasters have probably been, you know, they, they had a, a very tough few months and may have lost some subscribers, but I think generally they have been uh, less badly affected than the rights owners themselves. Because if you, you know, you know, whilst sort of you know, advertising income may have taken a dip and, they obviously had to press the pause button on taking consumer payments for a period of time when there was no live sport. Sport actually, in terms of closed audience sport, returned relatively quickly. So um, they, they've fared somewhat better than potentially some of the rights owners themselves. You know, if you take sports like rugby, I think you know the CEO of the RFU is on record saying there at least 50% of their income is match day related income. If you take league one and league two football, it's probably nearer 80 or 90%. Um, and so these are the, um, the, the, I guess the protagonists in the sports sector that are really going to require uh, external financial help to get them through this crisis. And if OTT and sport was a hot topic back towards the tail end of 2019, how do you think it's sitting right now? Uh, I don't think it changes really. I mean, there's sort of two things. There is OTT where, you know, a big player, whether that is a DAZN or an Amazon or someone like that, comes in and invests and competes against incumbent sports broadcasters um, and outbids them for the media rights. Now, I don't think that's going to change dramatically. We've seen recently that Amazon were the successful bidders for the uh, Autumn International Rugby uh, they, they've, they've been successful in some Champions League bids. Obviously, DAZN have recently tied up significant swathes of German football media rights. So I, I think these types of um, players are here to stay. One thing I would say is whether, you know, has it become a more difficult environment to raise money? Um, and these are ultimately bit startups in this space of, of businesses that require, you know, significant funding. Um, so where, are we going to see many new entrants outside of the DAZNs and Amazons? I'm not sure, uh, given the, uh, the, the sort of state of the world economy. Um, that said, there's all of these special purpose acquisition vehicles that are being launched in the US to, um, to, to fund stuff. So who knows? But then in the sort of, I guess that what I call the sort of smaller OTT space, I think where broadcasters are increasingly going to focus on content that really works for them. There may be certain rights holders that don't necessarily have that ability to get significant fees from, from broadcasters and might choose to, to go on their own from an OTT perspective. So, you know, start streaming stuff directly themselves. I mean, we, we saw it yesterday in the news, the project um, big picture that we see um, uh, now being rebuffed by the, uh, the the Premier League clubs, but one of the ideas there was that the 
Premier League teams would effectively take back the three o'clock fixtures and start streaming, I think, up to eight games themselves each. So it is ultimately, it's, it's a much more cost-effective way for rights owners to distribute their content than launching pay TV channels on Sky or BT. So it's definitely here to stay. Um, but, it, you know, there'll be various different guises of how and who is creating OTT services. How do you think the future is looking for live sports and sport broadcasting? Nothing has checked. The, the pandemic doesn't change uh, what the future looks like for live sport, I don't think. I mean, certainly, I think everyone will be desperate to see the return of crowds. And hopefully that will be in the sort of uh, you know late spring, early summer next year. Because I, I do worry that you know, if we went for a year or two in a no crowd scenario, that it sort of takes away something from the televisual viewing experience, not just the, you know, the in-stadium experience because it becomes all quite samey. So I think it's important that we see the return of crowds as soon as practically possible. But I, I don't see anything changing for live sport. I still think it is the ultimate appointment to view proposition. It, uh, you know, it stands alone really in terms of the ability to drive uh, pay TV subscribers, and I don't see that changing. Whether the sports broadcast landscape looks the same in 20 years, who knows? Whether it, you know, whether you've seen it in the mobile phone manufacturing space, you know, Nokia when 20 years ago was the biggest uh, mobile phone, and you know, you don't even, I don't even think they make phones anymore. So who knows who will be the biggest players? But you at your bottom dollar that if they're new market entrants, um, that sports will be absolutely the fore of their investment. Just to finish on, Ollie, is there any exciting news in the pipeline for Pitch or any of the other projects that you uh, are involved with? I mean, nothing that's not in the public domain, no. So um, we're continuing to look at various you know, new sporting acquisitions, working with the big streaming platforms around new films and, and series, etc. So Nothing, nothing that I can talk about, sadly, but um, reiterate, we are very much on the front foot now and, and looking to expand our range of content, but also our geographic footprint. And how can people best get in touch with you guys and find out anything more about what you're up to? Uh, well, actually, one of the things we will be doing very shortly is relaunching our website. So uh, it's a bit like the old plumber's leaky tap. We haven't really, you know, whilst we're a sports content business, I don't think we've focused on our own, con, you know, effectively our own content very well in the past. So in the coming weeks, uh, we'll see a new website. So you can go to our pitchinternational.com and get in contact with us uh, from there. So that's everything, Ollie. So thanks so much for coming on to the podcast and speaking with us today. It's been really appreciated. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.